0: wilderness wanderings. We're going to be looking at the the children of Israel as they end up their time wandering in the wilderness prior to them getting into the promised land. I'm going to summarize chapter 18 and 19 this evening. Chapter 18 gives us the duties of the priests and the Levites and the offerings and the tithes that are needed to support worship in the tabernacle. And this is a review from Exodus and Leviticus, so we're not gonna go through chapter 18 verse by by verse, but God is reinstilling this in this second generation that's gonna enter into the, the promised land, the importance of worship and worship being supported. And then chapter 19 is the laws of purification. So it shows the reality of our sinful condition and how much we need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us and forgive us. So it speaks specifically, if you touched a dead body, you would have to go through a process of purification. And that brings us to chapter 20, and that's the quickest I've ever gone through two chapters. In chapter 20, we see a familiar tune. Anybody country music fans, and you'll admit it, you're like, you love country music? Well, I feel bad for you a little bit. It seemed like a lot of people over here were country music. But to me, it feels like they're playing the same song, right? It's a different song, but it's the same song. It pretty much sounds the same to me. I don't really like country music. We can still be friends, right? In Jesus' name, we can we can be friends, But this is a familiar song and that is we're in the wilderness it's really hard where are you God why did you bring us out here and by the way it's all Moses's and Aaron's fault so verse 1 of chapter 20 then the children of Israel the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month and the people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died and there was buried so we see this passing of the generation that was led out of bondage, but didn't have faith to go into the, the promised land. And Miriam, is buried, she dies. Now, there was no water for their congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. It's not the first time that they faced this difficulty of no water, but it's a pressing need. This is a barren wilderness, it's very hot, the Sinai Peninsula, And they begin to complain against Moses and Aaron. All the way back in Numbers chapter 14, almost 38 years prior, this is the exact same thing that they were saying. They were murmuring against Moses and Aaron. Not too long after they were delivered out of Egypt, they started to complain about Moses and Aaron. We can go 38 years of our lives complaining about the same things, church. We can get locked in on a pattern of murmuring and complaining. And we tend to think that, well, more time is going to equal more maturity in my life. But if we're not pressing into Christ and allowing him to press into us, that's not the case. In fact, without pressing into the Lord, we're going to stay on the same patterns and they're actually going to get worse With this area of complaining, it can be easy to find ourselves on the treadmill of these same things bother me. These same things get get under my skin. And it may be a Moses. It may be an Aaron. It may be a person that God has has placed in your life or an enduring difficulty that the Lord has allowed. And and for some reason, it just always rings our bell and we go back to this place of, of complaining. And the people contended with Moses and spoke, saying, if only we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. You remember that God sent the the plague, and you have a lot dying that were in this place before the Lord, this rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And they're saying, it would have been better for us to die. This is really hopelessness that has come into their heart and their life. And we need to be careful about this, especially when we're in times of difficulty where our heart's cry is, I wish I was dead. I I wish that God would just take me home to be with the Lord. I don't anticipate to see God do good things in the future. David, and he prayed, he said, I would have lost heart if I didn't believe that I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He had an eternal hope, but he also had confidence that God had plans for this life. And have we gotten to that place of discouragement, despondency, where we're saying, I'm pretty much just going to punt? I don't expect to see God work, to see God move, to see God deliver, to bring about good in the midst of terrible and bad situations. We've got to fight against this hopeless mindset. God is a God of hope. He's the God of the resurrection, and whether we see it or not, why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into the wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. What are they missing in this complaint? Their own unbelief. God wanted to bring them into the promised land. They got onto the border of the promised land and didn't believe that God was big enough to defeat the giants. It was their unbelief that got them to this place. But yet in this moment, it's God's fault and he doesn't have any plan for the future. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and they fell on their faces and the glory of the Lord was, appeared to them. So the people are in a pattern of complaining, but Moses and Aaron are in a pattern of falling before the Lord, bringing the difficulty, bringing the complaint to the Lord, because this is the exact same way that Moses and Aaron responded all the way back in Numbers 14, 38 years prior. In Romans chapter 6, it puts it this way, that you're going to be a slave to something you're either going to be a, a slave to righteousness or a slave to, to unrighteousness. And it is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I am going to respond to righteousness. When faced with this situation, with this difficulty, instead of taking it personal, I'm going to take it to the Lord. I'm going to give it over to the Lord. I'm going to come into his presence and say, Lord, I'm laying this at your feet. That's easier said than done, isn't it? When someone complains against you and it's your fault, it's hard to not get defensive and try to explain to them, well, this is all of the care that I've given to you. This is all that I've put into this. And we don't see that with Moses and Aaron. We, we see them once again taking this uh, to the Lord. Then the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give them drink to the congregation and their animals. Key here is speak to the rock. One time prior, Moses had struck the rock. God spoke to him to strike the rock, but this time, the second time, he's simply to speak to the rock. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, hear now you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod, and the water came out abundantly and the congregation and their animals drink. Hear now, you rebels. In the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word rebels in Greek is moros, M-O-R-O-S, which we get the word moron. Moses is saying, you morons, you morons. Sounds like me when I'm driving sometimes. (laughs) You rebels, must we bring the water out of this rock. Now think about that for a moment. Is it Moses and Aaron that bring water out of the rock? It's not. But Moses in his frustration and Moses in his anger is feeling like, do I got to do this again for you guys? And the complaining and the murmuring it had gotten to Moses and he disobeys the Lord. He, he strikes the rock Instead of speaking to the rock, God clearly told him to speak to it. God, in his grace, still allows water to come from the rock. Aren't you thankful when we make mistakes in our leadership that God still provides water? (laughs) Because we, like Moses, we fall short. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, "'Because you do not believe me, "'to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel,' Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. The root of Moses' disobedience was unbelief. Moses, you didn't believe me, and you didn't represent me, you didn't hollow me correctly to the nation of Israel. Moses is upset and frustrated, but God's not. God's not angry in this situation. Moses is the one who's angry, so the Lord says to him, hey, you can't enter into the promised land. In Psalms 106, we see a commentary on this. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that that it went ill with Moses on account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so he spoke rashly with his lips." What's interesting is Moses actually falls in one of his greatest sources of strength. God said of Moses that he was the meekest man in the face of the earth. Meekness is power under control. But yet here's a moment where he didn't have power under control. A lot of times in scripture, we see people falling in their greatest area of strength. Peter was courageous to the point where he would walk on water to the point where he would get out his sword when Jesus was being arrested. But yet, when Christ was on trial, he denied that he knew the Lord in front of a servant girl. He acted like a coward, even though he was so courageous. David's greatest strength was where he placed his love. <laughs> a heart for God, his love for God. It was a man after God's own heart, but where did he fall? He misplaced his love. He allowed his heart to follow after lust and sinned with Bathsheba. Noah was a righteous man. His character stands out as one who's righteous. But what area did he fall? Choosing to get drunk in his tent to the point where his sons find him naked. So there's a, a warning here for us that there might be an area of our lives where we go, you know, my, my marriage is so rock solid, I would never struggle in my marriage. Or, you know, I could never imagine cheating on my taxes. My, my integrity is just rock solid on, on my, my taxes. We begin to rely upon our own strength instead of on God's strength. And eventually, we can fall in one of our greatest areas of strength. This is where God's word speaks to us and says, if you think that you stand, take heed lest you fall. There's some significance here of Moses not being able to take the children of Israel into the promised land because Moses is the giver of the law. And the promised land represents all of the spiritual blessings that God gives to us. And the law can't bring us into the promised land. Moses figuratively cannot bring us into the promised land. It has to be Joshua. And Joshua is a picture of Jesus. And Jesus, who leads us in, is the champion of grace. That's how we enter into the promises of God. Also, here in Moses falling short, it does affect the picture of Christ because in the New Testament it says that the rock was Christ. And Jesus was struck one time upon the cross. Then, when we need spiritual refreshment, We simply speak to the rock. We speak to Jesus, and he pours out living water into our hearts and into our lives. In verse 13, this was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hollowed among them. Meribah means contended with the Lord, or or strife. Now, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. What I find significant about Moses is he keeps leading even though he can't go into the promised land. He c- continues to, to serve the Lord and he sends a message to the king of Edom. Now Edom are descendants of Esau. If you remember from the book of, of Genesis, we have Jacob and Esau. And this is the request to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through your fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from your wells or visit your Chick-fil-A's. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or the left until we've passed through your territory. Please let us pass. Then Edom said to him, you shall not pass through my land lest I come out against you with the sword. Harsh response. So the children of Israel said to him, we will go by the highway and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Second request. Then he said to him, you shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. An even more harsh response. Then Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. What stands out to me in this is compassion goes so far. The Edomites could have simply been compassionate to the situation that the children of Israel were in. How we need God's compassion in culture today to, to look at those that are suffering, to look at those that are hurting, that are in physical need and spiritual need, and, and to have the compassion of Christ. Now, the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Eden, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I am given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Aaron's going to pass away as well because of Moses's sin at Meribah, him getting angry with, with the people. Take Aaron and Eliezer his son and bring them up to the Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer his son. For Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all of the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer his son and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain and Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. So the priesthood has passed on. They mourn for Aaron for 30 days. They just stop and mourn for Aaron for 30 days. This is something I think that's really difficult in our culture is for us to mourn. Most of the time when there's loss, what do we do? We work more. That's what we do. When there's grief in our lives, go, "I don't know how to handle all this pain, so I'm just going to work more." But the pain doesn't go away, and ultimately it leads to, to more problems. What if there was significant loss in our lives? And we said, "You know what, this really hurts. And I don't understand this. I need to slow down. I need to be still and know that He's God. I need to mourn. Now that there's a time for that mourning to end. There's a time to get up and and get going again, as the Lord has met us with his comfort. But Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's wise to stop and acknowledge, hey, there's genuine pain in my life, and I need to mourn. The whole nation of Israel stops for, for 30 days and mourns. Could you imagine us stopping as a country for 30 days, you know? I honestly couldn't even really imagine us as a church stopping for 30 days and just saying, hey, this this is really hard. We're gonna mourn and and trust that God is gonna meet us in in this season of mourning and this season of loss. I I think it's valuable. It's hard to do, but it's valuable. Chapter 21, the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Athram. Then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoner, so the Israelites made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. And the Lord listened to the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. So the name of the place was called Hormah. Canaanites are taking Israelites captive. And so Israel cries out to the Lord and says, God, would you deliver? And God says, yes. Yes. Where are there areas of defeat in our lives, in our families, in our church? Would we cry out to the Lord, and God's ready to deliver. God's ready to do a work against the enemy. So they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. They've got to go the long way around. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Ever been there? Just feels like a wilderness season. Everywhere you go, you can't seem to catch a break, and it's difficult, and it's easy for our soul. Our soul is our inner person, our mind, our emotion, and our our will just to get discouraged. And out of that place of discouragement, then the complaining begins. In Hebrews chapter 12, it encourages us, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Uses the same phrase, weary and discouraged in your souls. We know the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians who would remember the children of Israel getting discouraged in their souls. The key for us to not be discouraged is actually not our circumstances, but the focus of our perspective. Consider Jesus who endured such Hostility of sinners against himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. He he took on sin and was punished by the Father. And to think about that suffering and to, to think about all that his soul went through as he took sin upon himself. And if our focus isn't there, we're going to get discouraged in our souls. That's why communion is so important. It brings us back to the suffering of Christ. And going, okay, Jesus, you really understand the suffering that I'm going through. In verse five, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and water and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Wow. God, why did you bring us here? Why didn't you just allow us to stay in Egypt why didn't you allow us to just die in the wilderness there's no food that there's no water and what you're providing every day manna from heaven it's loathsome it's gross I'm tired of it I'm sick and tired of eating oatmeal I'm sick and tired of manna there's only so many ways that you can fix this stuff right and when we get to a place where we're despising God's daily provision in our lives, look out. That is not a healthy place to be. Oh, well, Lord, I want more. I'm dissatisfied with this, the place that you've put me in, the people that are, you've surrounded me with, the paycheck, all those things, and it's loathsome to me. We're, we're rejecting the provision that, that God has given to us. Verse six, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and many of the people of Israel died. God is sending a message here. After all of these years of grumbling and complaining, unthankfulness is going to kill you. So he sends these serpents to bite them and they start to die. If we want a bitten and stricken soul, if we want spiritual death in our inner man, grumble and complain. I think we've all experienced this. Those days where we're just complaining, murmur, 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 murmur. woe is me. It's so terrible. No one's ever had it as bad as me. Man, there's just a death in our soul. There's just a sorrow that that's about us. But when our perspectives on Christ and our hope is in Him and we're choosing to be thankful even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, it's completely different. In verse 7, therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. There's great power in release when we confess our sins. We've sinned. God, we've sinned against you, and we've sinned against others. God is gracious to answer this prayer. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived." What's so amazing right here in Numbers chapter 21 is God is painting a beautiful picture of his son. In the Old Testament, we have pictures of New Testament principles, of New Testament truths. Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, and all those who look upon Christ in faith, the serpent who has been lifted up, is saved. Jesus spoke this about himself in John chapter three, verse 13. It says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, this is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And so Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Speaking of Jesus being lifted up on the cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then, of course, we have John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Church, isn't God so gracious? The children of Israel are are messing up royally here. They're grumbling, complaining. God sends a fiery serpent. They could all die in the wilderness here. But instead, God in his grace has Moses lift up a bronze serpent that everyone who looks upon the serpent is healed, is saved, and then Jesus is the serpent who's lifted up upon the cross that when we look to him in faith, we're saved. Do you think there was some among the congregation of Israel that are like, I'm not looking to a silly bronze snake on a pole. That's not going to help me. That's not going to save me. It would take humility and faith to look upon to this bronze serpent that you would be healed. And what does it take to be saved? It takes humility and faith. How many people have not trusted Christ for their salvation because they don't see their need for Jesus? They think it's ridiculous to to put their faith in Christ who hung upon the cross for their sins. Without humility and without faith, there's no salvation, there's no being born again. We look at the storyline of the Bible, and it begins in the garden with the serpent. Satan, who deceives Eve, and Adam and Eve sin, and sin enters the world. And Jesus then likens himself to a serpent. What a weird picture for Jesus to liken himself to, because Jesus is taking on the consequence of sin. Jesus is taking on the reality of sin. So only God in his grace could take the rebellion of Israel and beautifully portray the gift of his son upon the cross. In verse 10, now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Hoboth, and they journeyed from Hoboth and camped at Ije, Abiram in the wilderness, which is east of Moab toward the sunrise. So wandering in the wilderness. From there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered, and from there they moved and camped on the other side of Iran, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. From Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahib and Sufa, the brooks of Arnon. So what is the books of the wars of the Lord? It was a chronicle of writing down the wars of God's people. It's not recorded for us in the Bible. It was not something that... God allowed to be preserved, but it is quoted here in Numbers 21. And the slope of the brook that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab, from there they went to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up a well, all you who sing it, they well, the leaders sank, dug up the nation's nobles by the lawgiver with their staves. and from the wilderness they went to Matnah, from Matna to Nahili, from Nahili to Bamoth, and from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab, to the top of Bishka, which looks down on the wasteland. So God's faithful to provide water for them, and that's what we see here couple more conflicts in the wilderness prior to them getting into the promised land. The next conflict is with the Amorites. Then Israel sent messengers to Shihon king of the Amorites saying let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the fields of the vineyards. We will not drink your water from the wells. We will go by the king's highway until we've passed through your territory. Again asking for permission to pass. But Shion would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Shion gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land. From Arnon to Jabok, as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities. So this is not in the promised land. This is... Outside of the promised land, but victories that God gave to Israel, and Israel dwelt in the cities of the Amorites and in Heshbon and in all of its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Shihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all of his land from his hand as far as Arnon. Therefore, thus who speak in the proverbs say, "Come to Heshbon, let it be built." Let the city of Shihon be repaired, for fire went out from Heshbon and flame from the city of Shihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of Arnon. Woe to you, Moab! You have perished, O people of Chamosh. He has given his sons as fugitive and his daughters into captivity to Shihon, king of the Amorites. But we have shot at him. Heshbon has perished as far as Debon that we laid waste as far as Nopha, which reaches to Medaba. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jesus, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. So this paragraph of God giving victory over the Amorites breaks my heart from this sense, as they were so close to the promised land. It could have been victory in the promised land, but instead it was victory out in the wilderness, if they would have chosen to trust in the Lord. Also, I think it does bring us to some current events. Isn't it interesting that we're reading in the scriptures, and you find groups of people in this region that are coming against the Israelites, the, the Moabites, the, the Amorites, the Edomites, they're, they're coming against Israel. And you watch the news today, and what do you see? You, you see people coming against uh, the nation of Israel. And not that Israel makes all of the right decisions, or they're always right in, in this conflict, but Israel is God's chosen people, and God declares in his word that he has given them that land and it's not surprising that it's the most contested piece of real estate in the whole world, right? Because there's a spiritual component to it as well. And God's heart's for the nations, so please hear that. So, so God wants all the people groups to come to know him as, as a savior. He'd want Israelites to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah. He would want the Palestinians to, to come and know that, that Jesus is, is the Messiah, But this is very current. Here we are all these years later, and the land of Israel is contested. Verse 33, And they turned and went by the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all of his people, to battle Idri. Og is kind of a cool name for a king. Side note, but just like, so Og, king of Bashan. I mean, that just sounds pretty tough. If we ever get another dog, which I don't think we will, I think this dog's our last one. I should name it Og. But the Lord said to Moses, do not fear him for I've delivered him into your hand with all of his people and his land and you shall do to him as you did to Shihon, king of the Amorites who dwelt in Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons and all of his people until there was no survivor left and took possession of the land. So victories outside of the promised land. Two things to consider as we close this evening. The first is, what treadmill are we on? Are we on the trim- treadmill of grumbling and complaining? If we don't get off of it, we're going to be on that same treadmill in 38 years. The same things will bother us, just to a multiplied degree. Tonight is a good night, to get off that treadmill of grumbling and complaining. And when we wake up tomorrow, old habits die hard. It's going to be easy to grumble and complain. But instead to wake up and say, God, I'm going to choose to to be thankful. I want to be like Moses and Aaron, who I'm on the treadmill of falling on my face uh, before you. Then also to see this beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus going to the cross for our sin, him being that serpent for us and being lifted up so that we could be saved. If you don't know Christ as your savior, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose again. He took sin upon himself. Believe, turn from sin, believe, and be saved. Your your eternity Determines whether you'll humble your heart and trust Christ for salvation. There's those that died because they wouldn't look to the bronze serpent. You'll you'll die spiritually, be eternally separated from God unless you turn to God and be saved. He he loves you. He wants to be your savior. We get the joy of of sharing the good news, of sharing the, the gospel with those that are lost. Jesus entered into this world and he took on the mess of our sin. People are in the midst of the chaos of their sin and they're getting bitten, if you would. And, and oh, hey, good news. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He, he rose again. Let me show you in the word, John three sixteen. Let me show you in the word, Romans 5, 8. Hopefully tonight we're being encouraged and equipped to go out to a lost and dying world. People getting bitten by sin and we get to introduce them to the Savior. So tonight, let's be encouraged. As we come and remember Christ, are we getting discouraged in our souls? Are we getting weary in the wilderness? Let's look, lift up our eyes to the suffering of Christ to really think about what Christ has done for us on the cross and all that he took upon himself, all of the suffering that he went through. And he's here to encourage us. He's here to, to comfort us.